welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. This is a fantastic episode. Rafe Pomerantz, very, very excited to bring you this. I feel like we're on a pretty good journey here on the Limehouse podcast, having Nathaniel Rich on the show previously and talking about his book, Losing Earth, where Rafe Pomerantz, this guest of this episode, features very heavily. It's a, it's a wonderful book. I suggest you read it. It will maybe fire you into sort of taking interest in the global crisis, maybe, you know, get involved with your local activist groups and put some pressure on your MPs and your senators and your congressmen and all that jazz. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll put a pin in put in that. We'll put a, a pin in 2021. Put a, and another one in 22 and then fast forward 50 years and see where we are. Let's just hope it's not a great ball of mess. Yeah. Okay. By the way, just for the record, really love Don't Look Up. Okay, if you're, if you're one of those people, then you, welcome to my side of the fence. Because I think it's good. I think it's a wonderful film. I think it's great. Much like this conversation with Rafe Pomerantz. Rafe um, is an activist. He's been an activist for many, many decades. He started out in Friends of the Earth. And uh, we, we talk reasonably in-depth about his journey as an a- activist. And, um, and, and then we, we loop back quite a lot onto the book that he features in Losing Earth. And his role in trying to bring some kind of awareness to the world about the crisis that was looming uh, from the 50s, all the way to the 60s and the 70s. But this predominantly book, Losing Earth, that Ray features in is between 1979 and 1989. And it's fascinating, as is this conversation. And I was honoured to have him on the podcast because what this guy has seen and done is is seriously noteworthy and I know you're going to have you're going to get a lot from it so I'm really honoured to have him on the show and I, I hope it in some way um, maybe activates activates you a bit but I'm, I'm not one of those people that likes to sort of go hey you should do this you should do that just whatever do whatever you bloody well like let's face it um, but yeah look enough of my yakking I'll be off in just a second I just wanted to say um, hello if you are new do stick around. As I said, there are previous episodes to listen to. You know, some of the best, like you know, Michael Payne and, and, and Christopher Guest, of course, yes, great conversations. But there are also fantastic conversations with people like Felix White. You know, I, I talk to a lot of different people from lots of different walks of life here. You know, Felix, um, musician and lover of cricket, for example. Um, recently, I had um, Norman Blake on from Teenage Fan Club. Uh, Teenage Fan Club, fantastic rock and roll band. And, and it goes on, you know, you keep keep digging and you'll find some, you know, stuff from all walks of life. And it's that's what I love. I, that's what I love about doing this podcast. OK, I get to download a bit of my interests, which is cool. And it's an excuse to talk to some fantastic people. Um, but yes, look, it's time to go. It's also would be good to hear from you. Um, I'm on Twitter at Limehouse Pod. If you ever feel like reaching out, it's always good, you know, to, to feel like somebody's listening. It's always good to know that, that people care, especially in the midst of January and the grimness that we're in with the weather and the horribleness of it all. Um, yeah, uh, to show appreciation is great. And uh, at Limehouse Pod, you know, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, the, uh, the Limehouse Podcast on Instagram as well, if you fancy that. But anyway, look, look after yourselves. It's, it's, it's going to be a long few weeks ahead, but we're going to knuckle down. We're going to do this together. Okay. 
It's going to be fine. I mean, it, it might not be, but it but it probably will be. The, the, the freezing cold temperatures will lift. The clouds will part. We'll be in spring soon. We'll be planting be- we'll be plant- we'll be planting beautiful flowers and watching them grow and everything will be fine. Everything will be just beautiful. Look after yourselves. Okay? Okay. I think we're done. Yeah. Enjoy your time with Rafe. I do. Bye-bye. Glad to be with you. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's such a random journey that I've been on over the past few weeks, Rafe. I can't even, I don't know, I don't even know where to start because um, climate climate change has definitely always been on my radar, but I don't know since the past I don't know two three years it's it's become more and more so as with so many people, and then I'm just over like two weeks ago I um I was like do you know what I just don't need I don't read enough thick climate change literature and so I went on this little journey and I found um Nathaniel Rich's book and obviously you feature so heavily in it and and I got hold of Nathaniel we had a chat on on Monday I think and um and I was like do you know what I'll ask I'll ask my my friend Sophie if she can sort something out because I'm so busy and look where we are we we're sat talking to one another it, it, it's it's such a it's such an honor to be speaking to you honestly having read so much about your life and what you've what your journey you've been on it's it's quite exceptional i tell you about the beginning of my work in climate change if you like yeah yeah that'd be great i was uh um at the time i was a lobbyist as well for friends of the earth u.s yeah based in washington and i had just finished a five-year piece of work on what's known as the Clean Air Act here in the U.S. And I had led, organized a coalition of environmental groups and public health organizations in support of stronger amendments to the Clean Air Act. There was the Clean Air Act and that put into law in 1970 and uh, between 73 and 77, a major set of amendments was adopted. And I yeah. was the lead lobbyist on that. Yeah. And uh, at the time, uh, I think from in context of climate change, there was no discussion. It was yeah. not brought up by anyone. And no member of Congress, nobody in my organization, uh, none of the witnesses before Congress was not an issue. And uh, which is actually an interesting story in itself. After the completion of these amendments in 1977, I was continuing my research in air pollution, specifically on acid rain. And I was reading various reports and came across a report on the environmental effects of coal use in which this EPA document mentions that it's possible that coal use will contribute to warming the planet. And what? I said, this can't be. Uh, Warm the planet? And uh, so I I reacted quite strongly to this sentence or two in this report. And that- Which is picked up in the book so brilliantly. A 40 something year sojourn. 
Um, so I let out a shriek about this. <laughs> I attracted the attention of my colleague, Betsy Agle, pointed this out to her. She was a colleague working on the air pollution issue. And uh, the next day, she brought me an article from uh, the Rocky Mountain News, a U.S. newspaper based in Denver, Colorado. And uh, in there was a story about a scientist named Gordon McDonald who had been giving a lecture somewhere on CO2 problem and how, you know, just apropos of the, the study I had just read. So yeah. I called him up. He worked in the Washington area at a company called MITRE and went to see him. And we had a great meeting, two hours, went through the science, the whole issue. And turns out that Gordon McDonald was a member of the National Academy of Sciences, a prominent geophysicist with a long career behind him. I think he worked in various government roles, including the CIA, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, CIA. Gordon was, Gordon was astute and insightful on science, but also policy and politics. So he was sort of the perfect person to understand how the case had to be made inside the bureaucracy in order to turn it into an issue. And not only the bureaucracy, but the Congress, the media, you name it, Gordon understood why to do that. So he was a perfect partner. And I said at the end of this meeting, Gordon, if uh, if uh, I set up the meetings, the briefings, will you do them so that we could begin to bring people on board? He said, absolutely. So I went about uh, setting up many, many briefings over the years for Gordon to do on the problem in an effort to raise the visibility of it, the understanding. And that's how we began our work. But that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you, you were the guy behind the scenes, effectively, all those years. Well, in the early years, yeah, I never, my name didn't appear in the media at all. Uh, that was mm -hmm. my intention. Not that anybody would have mentioned it anyway, but uh, I thought scientists ought to be out front. It's their message, not mine. And uh, yeah. my goal was to give him the platform to make a difference. And uh, we succeeded, actually, over an extended period of time in bringing the issue forward. And uh, we had a number of briefings that were, in retrospect, very important, uh, successful and impactful, and some that weren't, but generally speaking, uh, we were able to sort of light enough matches or whatever to uh, stimulate some significant activity. Right, and that the, I mean, it's it's well it's well documented um, in the book. I've bought I've bought two two copies of the book since since reading only two I've got the only two. I know <laughs> I've got the I've got I did the audio book and then I bought two um, physical copies for Christmas presents mm. and the only the, I wouldn't ordinarily do that the only reason I do that is because the way it's written uh, it's it, it's it's a Greek tragedy right and it's very it, it's you can completely you go with the protagonists and it's also it does feel like fiction which is kind of crazy it doesn't feel like it is our earth but maybe another earth and it, it's it's so captivating and then I, I i 
what's the the hardest part of all of this is to understand is that we've made literally zero progress since 1989 as as a as I don't know a universal scientific entity. I think we've made obviously um, you know research and development and what have you, but in terms of like actually trying to save our planet, kind of a lot of hot air, really. Well, um, uh, I, I'm a little more upbeat than that, but... I know you are, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a negative guy, sorry. <laughs> if you judge success by the concentration of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, uh, you could be, you could judge that a very, uh, as a very poor outcome. I mean, in other words, failure. Um, right. Yeah. But if you look at it another way, which is to see the development of the politics uh, to make change, to, to, to build momentum for actually doing what's required. If you look at the development of low cost substitute technologies, okay. If you look at the sort of media coverage that is now very, very substantial, which it wasn't for decades, all those things uh, contribute to the momentum. The problem, the problem is that we are very late getting to this point of rec- of true recognition. I actually think Nathaniel's article in the New York Times Magazine contributed to not only what he had to say, but the fact that the New York Times Magazine devoted its entire issue to this problem helped to galvanize a lot of additional coverage. I mean, I think it gave legitimacy, if you see what I mean. No, I do. I do completely see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's extra. It's an extraordinary piece of work, and I, I know he's he's a, a, a writer of fiction anyway. So he had that background, and he was able to to really see the characters, see how people can latch onto them, and that's so important. I think an awful lot. Maybe you'll agree with this. I don't know, but maybe a lot of the message, a messaging behind climate change, is um, perhaps. Obviously, it has to be scientific, but it can it can it can miss its mark and and it can confuse people and alienate people. It can what? I'm sorry. What? Sorry, it can confuse people and alienate alienate people with its. Um, it's it's a, it's a a it's a very tough topic to understand all the pieces. You mm-hmm. can do it. It can be very simply put. The problem can be very simply described, but if you want to get in any depth, it gets pretty complicated. Yeah, yeah. It's the largest problem that humanity has ever had to deal with. In other words, we as a global society have to deal with this or not, but nobody's ever had to confront a problem of this scale before. Yeah. We actually have to transform the energy economy of the world and you <laughs> have to do it in time. And that's extremely uh, challenging. To say the least, and you need needs a it it requires long time scale to make all that happen, and then coupled to that with the the difficult politics, we have very difficult politics in the United States on the issue because of those with a self interest in the economy that produces all the carbon dioxide, they didn't exactly want to give up the production that they are 
than they make a lot of money on. And so you have very, you have a, a kind of um, fractured politics to it. Mm. And that, 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 that's probably the most fundamental problem. Mm. Okay. Yeah. The fracturing, I guess that, I mean, what, and, and what, what um, I suppose would amaze some people is the, the, I don't know, the propaganda and the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the, the fake news. This, this, Dis, dis no. disinformation started in 89 and wasn't really, or well, in and around then, but, you know, wasn't really sort of the, the, the oil companies, the fossil fuel companies weren't exactly going head, headlong into that until, until much later. Is, is that correct? Wait, I'm sorry. Say that again. I think, again. So the, di- so the disinformation, so, yeah. so companies like Exxon, who are now just, yeah. you know, were, yes. were started, you know, propagating all that absolute nonsense and people started eating it up and they got a few yeah. scientists on board to to sort of back back up their nonsense. Um, that 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 is, it's, it was quite late in the game that it started. It wasn't always that much of a conspiracy because some of the- It wasn't. In the early, actually- earlier stages, it was not. We- are the scientists that we help present to the Congress and the media and so on were very credible. Yeah. Nobody was disputing what they had to say. And then the uh, Exxon and others decide to mobilize kind of a, well, what we call a disinformation campaign very successfully. Yeah. And that uh, has succeeded in embedding itself in large portions of the American people in their view of it and many politicians i mean it's particularly true in large swaths of the republican party where they they have to trot out uh theories of what's going on that refute the notion of climate change yeah yeah and i mean it, it it's it's quite interesting, though, because obviously in the heart, the heartlands of um, the Republican Party, places like Florida, which I know you're, you're, you're you know, you're front and center of um, in terms of policy and what have you. That's um, that's quite. It's going to come and bite them, right? What happens in Greenland happens in Miami. Good, and, excellent. I'm glad to hear you say that. It's one of my yeah. favorite one-liners. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, the, the fate of Greenland is the fate of Miami. And right. uh, you would think that Florida politicians would be on top of this, understand it, be honest about it. When it's the fate of the state, its economy, its real estate values, you name it. Yeah. But we are now in the third term of a governor of the state, two terms by, of a governor named Rick Scott, who's now right. a, a member of the U.S. Senate. And, and DeSantis, the current governor, who are essentially climate denialists. Yeah. You know, I mean, and here's a state that is very clearly existentially threatened. Its, its future is on the line. And yet the leaders of the state deny the issue. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. to this day, I mean, Scott is the chairman of the Republican Senate Campaign Committee. That's a big arm in the Republican Party. Right, yeah. And, it, and, you know, there he is, total denialist. What do you do with those people, man? You can't, I mean, I know I'm, I'm 
I'm not necessarily an optimist. I'm not. I'm somewhere between. I want to believe that, you know, at the end of every documentary these days, there's hardcore telling you basically we're, we're all we're all in for it. We're all going to die. There's always at the end of it sort of a, a 10, maybe five, 10 minute segment where there's hope, you know, an optimistic sort of look to the future. Here we have hope. There are. But but when you have people like that in the Senate who are essentially just absolute hook, line and sinker, convinced to toe the party line, what, what do you do? I mean, how on earth do you change those people's minds? Well, the way you do it, if you can, is you have to build public pressure back home. Yeah. You know, amongst the, in the media, amongst grassroots organizations, amongst leaders of various civic organizations and so on. Uh, and you have to try to persuade the person directly. You you have to kind of, you can try all kinds of things, but it may not work. Or you have to try to elect somebody uh, with a decent perspective on this. Yeah. It's not clear how, actually how we can change the mind of some of these members of Congress. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's like a case of their, They've been asleep at the wheel for so long that it's kind of ingrained within certain segments of, of politics now. Well, you mean the the the. the I, I suppose I mean like the body politic, really. I mean like the whole because you need obviously this is this is the Republican Party, the Republican yeah. Party, the base as it's called, is essentially yeah. a denialist base. They go with Fox News and others who will hammer the fact that the problem doesn't exist or if it exists, it's too tiny to worry about or whatever. And as long as we have entities that, that can have huge audiences outside the mainstream media, they're going to be, they get caught up in the propaganda and they believe it. So that's, that's, that's kind of a newish problem in our country is that people get on a cultural basis, get tied to one network or another. And some of those networks feed um, people what they want to hear. And part of that's on climate change for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's, this is the way of the, it's the way of the world. I mean, but I don't know what to do about, I mean, what do you say? You just go, okay that's just the way of the world. And you just, you just try and take a lot, you know, you try and take the percentage of people that can be, they're either on the fence or they're already on the side of, of climate change. It's like, what do you do with those people? You can't just leave them behind because they could easily rock the boat to a point where it sinks. Well, <laughs> it's a long term. Well, the more things, more big events that happen in the real world that are, have a climate cause the you know the more concerned more people will be and i think that's the general trend is that it becomes yeah. more believable the more various extreme ben- events show up even though that's not the only thing that happens by any means but um um we're seeing for example we're seeing more uh, intense hurricanes, you know, power, the wind speed of your average hurricane now has increased. And uh, it's not that there are more hurricanes, but 
some of them are, are more intense, more powerful. Yeah. Or should I say a greater percentage are category three and above, three, four, and five, which is those are major hurricanes. So if you have, you know, big events like that that cause big damages and you have the right attribution that's, that is able to determine what the climate change role in that was, that can have a big effect. And yeah. uh, we're, you know, the the tornadoes that just occurred over a large yeah. west. Now, so the news was full of was this a climate change event or not? And in fact, tornadoes are not well understood from a climate change point of view. You had, um, let me see, you had extreme events within this tornadoes. There was a time of year, the length of the tornado, the wind speed, all that kind of stuff. There were unique features which suggest that it's outside what we know as natural variability. But that has, you have to be able to sort of prove that. Do you think it'll just be too late though? Do you, I mean, I, I wonder if it will be too late when we go, when we if, if and when, I want to try and be an optimist, but if we do reach the point of no return we'll, we'll go i did that that really black that 2021 tornado that was the biggest since 1925 that was there that was a warning sign you know that and oh we didn't we didn't act on that that's that's strange why didn't we do that um well you started this little question with is it too you wonder about how late it is yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you go, look, if a tornado's hitting in December, then mm, I mean, obviously, well, I, I would like you said, to say that we have witnessed many impacts of climate change already. Yeah, and we're going to be seeing many, many more. So the evidence that this is out of natural variability, you know assisted by various weather patterns but um the the evidence is all over the place and the, the issue of time the, the problem is by the time a society is fully condensed and motivated you have enormous impacts already in the bag it's done it's over this issue there's this long lag between emissions and impacts so you don't see the impacts as as soon as you see the the um, when you see the emissions. It take there's a lag for various reasons, and different lag for different outcomes. In the 1980s, we began to see a lot of coral bleaching. That was a very early signal. It gets ignored a lot. It's a very powerful signal. And I was at the U.S. State Department at the time, and we started an international initiative, which is still going, called the International Coral Reef Initiative, to, to track these events. And, and we are going to lose all the coral reefs in the world. We've lost a lot. So, I mean, to the question, is it too late? Yeah, it is for some things. But, that, I mean, that's just... Uh, yeah... See, the thing is, right, I've read this book. I've been engaged with climate change 
but now I'm getting, I've been angry, yeah, but now I'm getting really emotional about it. And I'm, and I'm starting to piss people off because I'm becoming more emotional about it. And I'm, I'm becoming a little bit more like, hey, why, why are you so tied to meat? Why are you so tied to this, this and this? And why are you giving me so much grief for just going, I don't want to, look, I'm a vegan or, or whatever. I'm going vegan in January, whatever. But why, it's only now. And I think if that's, if that's me, I don't know. There's, this it's isn't really you. a question, right? You. No, I mean, it's quite, uh, I think it's very ranting. to be impatient, worried, angry. All those feelings are, are, are legit. I mean, and we are a, you could take, I mean, it's very difficult, or should I say, it's, as I said earlier, it's a monumental task to get this done. And governments mm. are only so good, even the best governments, you know, to make yeah. it go. And it, this is, in a way, it's too big for governments because they have to manage this enormous transition that involves everybody in the society. You know, major, yeah. major corporations, all levels of government, and it's global. Well, who in their right mind can take on all of that? And yet we're doing it and we have to. We are now in the period known as the Anthropocene by some, you know. The Anthropocene means that the humans dominate the planet. Our species, Homo sapiens, with this brain, has learned to innovate and bring forth products in, into the world that no other species has done. And we actually don't know how to take care of ourselves very well and the planet that supports us. And that's the challenge, you know, you have you look at the industrial revolution and this whole thing, the, the climate change problem is a byproduct of the use primarily of the growing use of energy in, 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 on behalf of more and more wealth. Right, yeah. And we barely, we didn't, we as a species didn't know what we were doing to ourselves. And now the question in the Anthropocene, this epoch we're in, is whether with the recognition we, are, we have, we have the wherewithal to get this under control. And the evidence is not clear that we, that we will. That's the struggle. You have, I mean, and one thing about Glasgow, the great thing is that the whole world is paying attention for a couple of weeks. You know, it dominates news. There are tens of thousands of people there. Uh, lots of media there, huge amounts of media. That all has to translate into changes in the way energy is produced and the capturing of other gases before they're like methane. You know, all that yeah. has to happen in sufficient time to hold on to the major assets of the climate system. Mm -hmm. And... If you look at the reporting yesterday out of the American Geophysical Union meeting, you know, there's a lot of reporting on the fate of us glaciers in West Antarctica, which contain yeah, I know. multiple feet of sea level rise if they collapse and they are on their way to collapse unless we, we cool the planet sufficiently or avoid certain temperatures. Uh, that's the best case. We avoid the temperatures and they and they this part of Antarctica remains and the rest of it remains stable. But if we not, it's not clear that we're going to get there. So if we don't, 
you get massive sea level rise and there goes Miami, there goes Shanghai, you know, you name it. The entire coastal world faces massive sea level rise. So this is a new, I like, sometimes I say to myself, this is, you know, forget about history as we know it. This is new, a new world. And uh, with, uh, you know, vast consequences. And so the way we have thought about history is, you know, there's change, big change, but nothing, you know, nothing like this. This is like, this changes everything. No, completely. I think just at some point down the line, we've, we've, we've made a deal with the devil, but we didn't realize it. The de- we made the deal. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the devil? Us. I mean, right, I think, right. You know, we as a species, um, ha- you know, we're not, we, we, you know, if we're to evolve, we have to know how to take care of ourselves and our habitat. So that's one big picture interpretation of all this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just per- personally, I, yeah, I, d- what for me, I wonder what the temperature is, what, what the temperature that the planet can actually withstand. Will it, oh. is it, is it? Take it, a look at sorry, Venus. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Venus, Venus, right. Yeah. Venus yeah, has yeah, a very yeah. thick, well, what Venus. I lost James Hansen. There are concentrations of carbon dioxide that can eliminate life or prevent life from happening. And yeah. I mean, we're not going there, but the point is that it can get too hot in the tropics, for example, for people to live and work and they're going to move or the, you know, you mm. lose the rainfall or whatever, but the hot, it, it can get over. There are thresholds of heat that make it impossible for people to live. And those people, if, if, if they are going to have to leave where they are, and there is the forecasts are there are forecasts for enormous amounts of migration as a result yeah. i mean just yeah displacements is actually quite interesting as well um obviously we talk dis, displacement human dis, oh, displacement oh, yeah. so you know and that's quite interesting because you you know obviously global temperatures and what have you is discussed and um sea level rising but what's the impact you know we always go oh my god well london will be underwater and then but that's that's it. That's when they stop. So don't go. Well, London will be underwater, and therefore millions of people will have to leave that area, mm-hmm. and and that goes for you know millions of thousands of cities around the world. Um, what's there's no plan for that, obviously, in, in the eventuality that that's going to happen. No, we 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 experience this on a small scale in coastal villages in Alaska, if you can believe it, because the. Uh, these villages were protected by sea ice. The ocean was always frozen. So storms and erosion could never take, never would take place at these coastal villages. Okay. Yeah. Now with the sea ice having disappeared for much of the year, the villages are vulnerable to storms. Well, they can't survive and they're vulnerable to the ground beneath them is thawing the permafrost. So yeah. they're destabilized and these villages have to be moved. Well, can you, you know how much it costs to move a village? 
And then multiply that by a few, by thousands of times when you're talking about cities and massive populations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and then you, it, it, it's, pardon? So, no, no, sorry, you carry on, Rafe. Mm-mm. No, no, I'm just saying, I do a lot of work in Florida. And the question for Florida is um, can sea level rise be kept to a level? where Florida can continue to thrive? And the answer is, it may not be. Sea level may rise to the point where Florida as an economy is decimated. And uh, this is a major economy within the United States, a major political uh, jurisdiction, and yet it is existentially threatened by climate. And you wouldn't know that listening to the political leadership in the state. And we have a project there. And the idea of our project is to establish an upper bound or upper limit to sea level rise. How, what is the upper, what is the tolerable upper limit? Okay, and if you pick that number, then what is the emissions path for Florida, for the United States and the rest of the world to stay within that limit? Now, this strategy can apply to any locality in the world. Pick your parameter, your impact. Hmm. And you say, yeah. well, what's our upper limit, what, what can we, what is our, what do we, and then having established the upper limit, you have to establish an emissions path for that locality or country that, and, and then become an advocate for, the, for that globally. I mean, as, in a way, that's what the small island states are about. They are advocating emissions paths in the global context that would allow them to survive because yeah. otherwise they'll be wiped out by sea level rise. So what, they're just they're kind of examples on how to sort of basically here's a, here's a city that's functioning in a way more uh, green, environmentally friendly way and this is a way that your city could do it as an example to say London or what have you. Yeah, well, London, the city of London could establish an upper limit on sea level rise. I, I, you know, I don't know the details at all. or an upper limit on temperature or whatever. Yeah. Um, but London's got a lot of room on the upside there, but take your impact and then your fate, once you have the, uh, your fate depends on the behavior of the rest of the world. But the limit gives the local politicians a way to say, we have to do the following to stay within this limit. You see what I mean? Yeah. Now, yeah, no, no. I've been talking with my sister yesterday or today about, she lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Well, you have yeah. two of the great intellectual institutions in the world there, or more, Harvard and MIT. Well, Eastern Massachusetts is very, very vulnerable to sea level rise. Well, have Har has Harvard and MIT established an upper limit? No. Are they advocating for that to protect all their property? No. You see what I mean? Yeah. When I talk to my brother out of Colorado, I say, you know, is there an upper limit to the amount of snowpack that Colorado is willing to lose? Because and then you say, well, then the governor of Colorado ought to take the position that we're only want to allow the world to warm out X because we want to protect our snowpack, some of it. Yeah. That's the idea. 
Yeah. Okay. The, the, the I just way to organize the politics and impacts of climate change around emission reductions. Do you do you just feel potentially that you're you know the the age old sports ad, adage that you're only as strong as your weakest link, and un, unfortunately there do appear to be an awful lot of weak weak links. I I don't know how you feel about COP. Um, but I, 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 and, and I don't know how you feel about our government and what, what the UK is doing. But um, I don't know whether a lot of it's hot air. I, I just feel like the, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And when our government talks about carbon neutral and all this kind of jazz and, and, and green energy by two, you know, 2030, we'll have more, more electric cars on the road. There's, there's, there's nothing to suggest that in nine or eight years time we're going to have on our motorways loads and hundreds and hundreds of charging ports or really decent batteries that aren't going to be bad for the environment um and also cheaper cars that are electric there's i mean i've rattled on there but if you get my drift (laughs) well uh i have to own electric car i like it a lot I'm fortunate I have a charger right in my house. But uh, you see, we're in the box. The box you identified is the rate by which we can shift technologies and maintain our lifestyle. Yeah. And the question is, how fast can that be done? And at what cost? And it can only be done so fast. And the question is, is that fast enough to avoid catastrophic outcomes and that's where the geoengineering question comes in because the geoengineering is solar radiation management is the is the only way to substantially reduce the temperature of the earth quickly i that's my opinion i mean one other way you can reduce the rate of increases with the radical reductions in methane because it's a powerful gas has a short lifetime so if you control it the concentrations fall quickly but we're not serious about the geoengineering possibility or what I call a two Pinatubo strategy. Pinatubo was a volcano uh, erupted in 1991 in the Philippines and cooled the planet off yeah. immediately by six tenths of a degree centigrade. Well, question. There's a lot of work about the theory and possibilities of injecting aerosols into the stratosphere to cool off the planet. But it's a small effort compared to what's required to do that. Would you say, Rafe, you're nuts. Well, how can you think about this? Well, that's where we are. That is where we are, because think about this. We're not even doing the research to look at how the two Pinatubo strategy might affect the fate of West Antarctica, which and I don't know that we can affect it because it's linked to ocean currents and atmosphere and winds in the atmosphere. It's complicated, but we're not doing the work. I just published a, an op-ed with three colleagues in a, in a paper in Washington called The Hill. And it was, a, it was in response to the release of the Arctic Report Card, which is an annual event in the U.S., very well done by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Yeah, I read it. I read it yesterday. Yeah. Oh, good for you. And well, the point was 
and I've commented on it in years before. But what we said was the report card is incomplete without a vision of what the future is and how we're going to get there. You see what I mean? You could come on with all the trends and all the terrible news and documentation of how warming is happening, what it's doing. What we really need to do is say, what's the future state of the Arctic that we have to have to sustain the global climate system? Okay. What is it? Yeah. And then how do we get there? And that's where the geoengineering piece or solar radiation management comes in because it may need to be part of the package of measures that get us there. Those yeah. all the strategic pieces to figure out how to contain the unraveling of the Arctic as one place on Earth, right? You've got to stop the yeah. permafrost because of the feedback. You've got to stop the loss of sea ice because of the feedback. You lose reflectivity. Permafrost, you vent methane and carbon dioxide. And you got to stop Greenland and the small Arctic glaciers from shrinking to nothing. Greenland will take a long time. And, and there are other components, but those are three major ones. Well, how much of each one of those can we tolerate? What's the answer? We have an Arctic Council. Do they know the answer? They do not. Have they tackled this seriously? No, they haven't. You could. So is that because- wired gone. I'm going here. I'm getting revved up, you know? No, I love it. I love I it. Decaf too. Deca- I'm, I'm on decaf as well. I can't drink caffeine. Jeez, I tell you, me on caffeine and, and then fear of climate change and existentialism or existentialism, existential crisis and all the anxieties. It's I've had to give, <laughs> I had to give well, up caffeine know, a month ago. You're not much younger than I am since I'm so young. Oh, you are so young, Rafe. I can't yeah. believe it. You're just yeah, so right. young, man. I'm 42. I'm, I'm 75, okay? Now, 75. This 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 issue is only going to get the impacts are only going to get more extreme over time. So my kids, my grandkids will pay the price and you, you will too. You're young enough. You're going to see a lot of this. And yeah. I don't know if you have children, but if you do, or when you do two, oh, how old are they? They're three and one. Okay. They're, they've got a, they're staring back down a barrel, aren't they? Well, let's say in 49 years, uh, yeah, that's good. 2070, right? They'd be 50. Yeah. Okay. There you go. See? And their children will be lived to be into the next century and so on. So, and, and right now where we're going is the planet just keeps getting warmer. So, yeah. what can I say? Uh, it requires all hands on deck now. In the United States, which should be the world's leader, without question, we have a mm. one political party that is essentially mired in denialism, in the and toxic, yeah, the toxicity, yeah, yeah, in the, in the disinformation. You know, when Donald yeah. Trump said climate change is a hoax, it wasn't just that Donald Trump said that, but his saying that was a representation of all that had happened in the disinformation campaign started by Exxon and others decades ago. It lived, yeah. it has a life within much of the Republican party. I'm a Democrat, so of course I'll say that, but not everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there were there were times, as Nathaniel has written, where we had a lot of Republican leadership. I Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't 
keep comparing our government, our polit- political body to yours, but but essentially, I I think there's there's a lot more uh, there's a little bit more open mindedness. I think there's less uh, denialism within the the ranks within UK, of the yeah. Tory party within yeah. The Tory, yeah, and within the UK. But I mean, but that's great. But it's still just a, a lot of of empty words. It's still like a lot of pandering. You have to look carefully at all the re- the R and D that's going on, the policies that are being put into place. Before yeah. you say it's all empty rhetoric, you got to look behind that. Um, I just one story on the Tories that Margaret Thatcher was a leader on this back in her day, yeah. my minister. She read she had no issue with acknowledging that it was a problem. And do you just yeah yeah so, but you know, just back to you know, the scale of changing this climate ship is gargantuan, you know, changing the way we use energy is the largest task ever presented to our species to do this together. You know, here yeah. we sit with the Russians, you know, we got one right. over here, another one in China, you know, uh. we have all the geopolitics going on. And then we have within the democracies, you have a lot of conflict. It's like, hey, wake up. The normal geopolitics is a sideshow compared to climate change. A sideshow. It will it will shrink to nothingness in time. But, but you know, absolutely. I just think there's just there's That's a male... one liner there. You could use that. <laughs> <laughs> I I just think it's all male ego. And at the end of the day, hubris is male ego. Ego, ego is human. Is human. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and but where, where do we like you said, you know, Russia, Ukraine, and then you, you know, one guy saying build a wall. Okay, he's not there anymore, but we know his base isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And you've got the Chinese government, you've got the Indian government who just flat out just said, just go to hell, co- you know, cop, whatever. Um, so you've got to kind of wonder. The um, government made an important announcement there. I'm sorry. Indian, the Indian prime minister made an important announcement at the COP. He put a timetable on limiting India's emissions. Now, like 2070 or something, he actually articulated a goal for India. That was very new. In India, I'll tell you, in the early negotiations say, we want nothing to do with the solutions. You, rich developed countries, you do this. We're not even gonna play. Mm. So they lose their tune because the stakes for India the stakes for India are enormous. The Himalayan glaciers, sea level rise, heat, heat. So they, they, this is a very big deal. But that's another that's another aspect, right? When gl- glaciers, <laughs> it's it's never ending, right? It's just this kind of well, you well turn. we've got trouble, man. It's the whole planet, and it's all changing. Some glaciers are shrinking, retreating. All over the planet, and at both, and, and and clearly at the in the Arctic, and in some places in the Antarctic, and uh, and at mid latitudes in the Andes and the Himalayas, so on. Yeah. So, like, we've we've only got about 10, 10, 12 minutes left, but I, I don't wanted to ask uh, one about sort of like what what you what you feel that people can do in their own small way to like kind of 
mitigate some of the the problems that we're facing globally because obviously it's going to be an individual if, if the governments aren't kind of that in tune with what's going on it's going to be an individual um process um but i and also want to ask about you as a as a kid and, and where where you sort of stepped off into the world of giving a crap about the environment and stuff but start if we could start with like what do you think individuals could do to 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 um help the planet Well, I would think individuals can start with their own lives and to look around in their homes, in their transportation, in their acquisitions or consumptions to find low carbon or zero carbon alternatives. I mean, is your, you know, have you electrified your appliances in your house? Have you gone to solar power? Uh, do you have an electric vehicle? Um, or, or do you, I mean, you look at the series of energy uses in your own life. That's one way to go. Not, yeah. not easy, but it's you start to investigate the options. That's one way. Yeah. A second way to go, which is in the political sphere, is you become an advocate. Um, mm. Affiliate yourself with an organization. Yeah. That is advocating uh, climate policies. You can support organizations financially. Uh, um, so I think there's a lot of clever ways for individuals to be involved and people all over the world have been doing that. I mean, you know, you can go door to door in your neighborhood. You can yeah. create co-ops to buy solar power. Did you, did you feel like perhaps, uh, you know, you, you touched on methane, just, just not eating yeah. meat might be a way forward perhaps. Sure. Your cons- that's where your consumption comes in. How, what, what, how much... How much uh, methane do does your diet produce? You mean, yeah. if you eat a lot of meat, you produce a lot of methane, or indirectly, you you, you contribute to methane emissions through uh, agricultural practices. Um, yeah, you have to look at each piece. But a- actually, I've done quite a bit of that myself in recent years, and it's interesting to have to investigate each option. Hmm. and uh, learn because there's a lot of new technology out there. Yeah. You yeah. can become your own scholar. Climate change is a great <laughs> issue to study because it's really fascinating how the planet works and how we're changing it and how we're measuring that change. The literature yeah. is vast and it's in the papers all the time now. Hmm. It's the new rock and roll. The new rock and roll? Right, yeah, you know, it's it's hip to be green. I mean, it kind of always. It's not. It's not as crusty as it used to be. It, it, it was. It, oh no! It was good in this. It's you're out of it if you're not green. I mean, really. And, yeah. But being actually being green requires some work, and um, um, that is a very good point. That is it. That is the word. Is there is work. Are we willing to do that? And then are we, are we willing to go, hey, that's government. They can do the hard work. They have to tell me how to, you know, they, they, they've got to come to me to tell me well, how each, to live my life when it's green. Each individual action that you take, as long as you make it known what you've done, has a multiplier effect because other people see that and they want to imitate it. So when you do something you think is just for yourself, it actually can have a, an effect more lar- in a larger sense on society. 
because yeah, people see true. you doing that and then they're going to say oh i better do that yeah so uh yeah Rafe, a, a little bit about you because i you know like i said i've read this book and and um it was really interesting to hear about to, to hear about, a little bit about your process within um the uh those 10 years where we had an opportunity to change the, the climate change but what 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 drew you what were you like as a kid what were you were you always like interested in the wider world what you into the was it like john lennon that that, that opened your mind a bit what happened uh i think my family there was a, a significant uh environmental influence my father was an architect and very concerned about planning and my mother was very involved in nuclear weapons, particularly the atmospheric test ban treaty, non-proliferation. I used to hear, you know, so she was involved in global risk mm. and global politics. My sister was into conservation. My brother was an outdoorsman. Uh, we grew up in the woods. I grew up playing ice hockey on a lake right next to our house. So I had a, <laughs> a pretty significant, well, the interesting thing about that is a, an appreciation for seasons and winter, which, you know, some of us who are fans of winter, we love snow, we like ice, uh, and that's going away. And yeah, so I had that influence. And my wider family was wider, very involved in politics and service. Yeah. Uh, and an aunt who was a conservationist, uh, and members of my family that were in government, so on. Yeah. So with those influences that said it's okay to do this uh and i got into the workforce at the time just earth day was about to happen so that was uh april 22nd 1970. Yeah. so i decided i want to go into environmental work and i found a way to do that that's where i met my yeah. wife and uh we began to raise family. We have three kids, seven grandchildren. Yeah. And uh, uh, it wasn't that long after I started, it was seven years after I started working with an environmental organization, first one, that I got into the climate change issue. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so freaky how you just, you just, so this one sentence or what have you, uh, that, exactly. that changed everything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. God. But is, do you feel sometimes like your and like in terms of ancestry, like your some of your, you know, like your mother's voice or your dad's voice, who are kind of like emanating through you a little bit? Yeah, I know that's a little bit abstract, but like in terms I, of, I tried to talk to Nathaniel about that a bit. I think that the the I had some relatives that were pretty famous. I had that were very involved in public policy and issues and. Uh, yeah. my mother you know in the nuclear world so it was it was not a strange thing to be doing this sort of work it was okay and so there was a sort of the role of the example of family members the role of place where i grew up and the role of time earth day so those were three things then finding my way into the air pollution issue and then in my studies of it finding climate change which has been the thing i've worked on mostly for 40 something years now oh god there's just there's such a weight there's a weight like to to, to that um to 
thinking about that 75 years on this planet so much involvement with within subjects of just so much importance and gathering importance such significance and it's like i don't even know how to to i don't know how to unpack that you know if it was a film i don't know maybe i could i could put a montage together then we both know then we both know i mean i mean i just you know that was i went from the climate is so vast that went from one aspect of it to another you know and gradually when i started there was nobody nobody working on yeah. climate policy zero and now there are millions of people so you know um i once was kind of alone not for long and now you know everybody can you can find your own little piece that's what i do yeah yeah and uh, one last thing, do you think there, I know, I know you're an optimist and a realist, I suppose, is a balance, but um, do you think we're going to turn this around? Over time, but within that space, there will be, as there already are, major impacts and they will only grow. Hopefully we turn around in time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look, Ray. Thank you so much for your time. It's it, you know, it's been it's been pretty crazy. It's a crazy few weeks, and and very exciting to to be able to speak with Nathaniel and yourself. You. I hope hopefully. Good for you. Okay, <laughs> nice Take one. Care. Man. Look, look after look after yourself. Bye.